it's a school of 1400 guys and it's a meet with a hundred boy swimmers and it's just like ah! all the time you know <laughs>
Well, I appreciate it. And, and before we jump into more of the personal stuff, which to me is the, the fun stuff, you know, just, uh, we were talking with, with Tasha, our, our, my producer, whose father is the head coach at Syracuse, um, you know, just about their start in the college. What's been, it's been a wild start to the college football season. I know you cover it as closely as anybody, um, from upsets to, you know, power five schools losing to, you know, lower. It's just been a, it's been a wild scene. We've already seen Nebraska fire Scott Frost. Just give me, give me an early kind of assessment of where things lie here in, in early on with college football. Uh, tumultuous. That's for sure. I mean, it has been, as you said, wild, unpredictable, um, shocking upsets, crazy ends to games, including Syracuse beating Purdue with the help of seven penalties on the Boilermakers in the last minute. Uh, but you know, that's, that's college football and that's the beauty of it. And we saw in the NFL, how unpredictable games can be in teams that you think have games won and lose them. But in college, there's just a bigger scope, right? There's more teams, there's more games. The players are younger. They're more prone to error. Uh, You know, the the coaches may be more prone to error a little bit too. And so you just get stuff that happens that just kind of blows your mind all day from from noon till two in the morning on a given Saturday. You never know what you're going to see. Yeah. And I think that the story early has been, you know, early in the season with college football, everyone's accustomed to aside from a couple big time matchups, especially, you know, that week zero, that opening weekend over Labor Day, where you see really cool matchups, really big time programs, Notre Dame playing Ohio State, so on and so forth. Early in the year, you see a lot of games, which we used to refer to as like blood money, right? You got these big programs paying millions of dollars, you know, over 1.5 million to lower programs, FCS level schools, or, you know, group of five schools that now have to go on the road. You know, we saw app state go and beat, you know, Texas A&M in Texas A&M, right? Those teams are now able to compete the days of just winning every one of those games, 60 to nothing, giving your million dollar check and getting a, a non-conference win on your schedule early. We're seeing more and more of those games going the other way. Notre Dame losing Nebraska, do you think we're going to continue to see this just because it's the economic engine of what keeps some of these smaller school programs alive? But what is the incentive for these larger schools to continue to not only pay money, but risk losing? That's a good question. And I think what it boils down to is they still are more likely to win than lose. And so if it's a choice between scheduling another power five team, and having a greater chance of losing or scheduling a, you know, mid-American conference school or somebody from conference USA and winning, they're going to continue to do that. Now be careful who you schedule. If you schedule an app state or a Marshall programs that have been very good for a long time and under, under multiple coaches, you, you, you could get what you got at Notre Dame stadium or in Kyle field. Um, The one thing that, there has been some question about whether or not schools should still schedule FCS opponents. Um, and, and the the push there, the push back has been, if we don't schedule them, those FCS p- opponents make no money. You know, that's a million dollars they need. And that's why they schedule the game to come in and basically get trampled. Uh, so there's kind of a push and pull. There's a little bit of a tension there. How How is the best way to schedule? The one thing you will always see is the Power Five teams are scheduling home games. You know, that's one reason they don't want to play another power five team. Cause then you got to go play them at their place. And everybody wants seven or even eight home games. If you can get it. Yeah. So when you say there's a push and a pull is the push and the pull from conferences is the push and the pull from the NCAA 
in general, right? So for example, who's if, if in the future, if people say we're not going to play app state, we're just not going to do it. We're not, it's not worth it for us to not only pay money, but to risk losing to a school that's now beaten Tennessee. They should have beat North Carolina in the past. They've beaten South Carolina. And then of course this year they beat Texas A&M who's pressuring these power five schools to say, no, no, we need you to take some of these FCS schools. We need you to take some of these, you know, group of five conference schools because without it, they cease to exist. Like, why is that Texas A&M's responsibility? Why is that Notre Dame's responsibility? And if it is at whose, at whose pressure, like at whose discretion? Yeah. I mean, that's a fair question. I, you know, I think the American football coaches association certainly like to see, those games being played They're, They don't have a ton of power, but they at least can, can lobby on behalf of those schools. Uh, and again, you got to play somebody. The question then is, yes, do you, if you're going to go schedule a Sunbelt school, you want to try to get somebody from the lower end of it and not app state or not Marshall, but you can't always get, not everybody can schedule, uh, you know, the worst programs in the country. So you, you, you have to take your chances every once in a while, but they're, you know, uh, if you talk to coaches around the sport, and you talk to athletic directors too, it's like there there is, I think, a general feeling that we we do need to try to help take care of those folks a little bit, at least by from a monetary standpoint. Yeah, and and my next question, I, I'd be curious your point. We've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about on here with the new NIL rules and the transfer portal, and just the ability for talent now to disperse across all levels. Right, it's not so concentrated, maybe necessarily at the top schools because they're not controlling these kids now for four years like they were in the past. If after a year or two at a power five school, you're not playing, there is the ability to maybe step down a level or go to another team. That's maybe not at quite at the, where the, the level of the school you're coming from. And now this talent doesn't get concentrated in one spot so closely. Is that a reason? Is it a coincidence that we're starting to see some of these group of five schools compete, you know, last year, Cincinnati, like, some of these schools we're not traditionally used to seeing at the top of the power structure of college football. Is it connected to this changing landscape of where it's just easier for talented players to change schools, to go somewhere where they can play? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, if you look at, I mean, one of Cincinnati's better players last year was a running back who transferred from Alabama. Um, the immediate yep. eligibility transfer has been a significant game changer. Uh, the quarterback for, App State is on his third school, Chase yeah. Bryce. You know, he started, yeah. he was at Clemson, yep. then he went to Duke, and now he's at uh, at App State. The quarterback for Marshall is on his third school. He was at a Power 5 school before at Texas Tech. Now he's there. Players want playing time. Players want opportunity. They have more freedom of movement. And I do think, to your point about NIL, you know, there are places that outside of Alabama, you know, Alabama can't get every player. And, and Georgia can't get every player. Ohio State can't get every player. And there's fans that care in Boise and in Huntington, West Virginia and Boone, North Carolina. They're like, hey, we'll, we'll give you a commercial for the for the hamburger franchise here. Yeah. You know, we will we will have you let you have a, a, a signing, uh, an autograph signing at the car dealership. So you can make some money at those places. And I do think that has a chance to at least level it out a little bit. Players can go a lot of places and be able to a play and b make a little money. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, it's definitely. Fa- I don't. I didn't. I was curious your answer because I don't think it's at all disconnected. I think it's directly connected to why we're seeing such maybe you know so many teams that were just unaccustomed to seeing 
be able to, you know, years back, I know App State beat Michigan, you know, what seems like a hundred years ago, but so it has happened. It just seems like it's happening more frequently. And when it does happen, people aren't quite as concerned as, you know, surprised. And as you mentioned, almost all the guys driving all these upsets this year started out at power five schools that, you know, it's just, I think it's an interesting landscape. The last thing I'll ask you before we jump in to your family and and your youth sports experience with your three children, you know, the the overarching, you know, kind of storyline going on now, as we sit here with the early part of this college football season underway is this whole idea of whether or not they're going to expand the college football playoff. And right before the season kicked off back in August, the report came out that they're seriously considering within the next couple of years, expanding the playoff from its current, you know, from its current format. And I'm one to suggest that in college football, there is a very significant difference between the top six to eight teams and then the rest, that next core group, right? Even when you look every week at the, the top 25, to be the 17th, the 18th, 19th best team in the country, they're not going to win the national championship. They're just not, right? It's the same usual suspects every year. So I guess my concern over, and I'd be curious yours, my concern over expanding the college football playoff would be for that one seed, two seed, for Georgia, for Alabama, We've those teams, in when it was four teams, kill whoever they play as the four seed. All of a sudden now they play an eighth seed. They play a 16 seed. They, at, the more it expands, are we going to just see blowout after blowout now in the first couple of rounds as we expand this college football playoff? Well, uh, it's a legitimate concern, but I think here are the benefits from it. First of all, you know, if, if we give a, if we're, it's going to be a 12 team structure, there's going to be a buy for the first, for the top four seeds. Right. So we don't have to see, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state playing a, a, an 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 seed. So you're going to have five through 12 playing each other. And I think those generally speaking are going to be pretty competitive games and they're going to be compelling. They're going to be on campuses. I mean, they're going to be the biggest games that have ever happened in some of these college towns. If you look like last year, Ole Miss would have hosted a playoff game. Are you kidding? That would have been the biggest game, home game Ole Miss has ever had. Oklahoma State could have, I think, hosted one last year. Uh, if not them, Baylor and Waco. So that would be, I, I just love the campus flavor of that. And I do think those early games will be compelling. And then, yeah, okay, we're going to get to a point where number one, Georgia is playing, you know, maybe the number five team and it's not going to be close. Uh, and that's that's the nature of the beast already. I don't think we necessarily lose anything there. We're just getting more games that, that look like the games that we've had. Uh, but I just think a bigger playoff pulls in more teams, more fan bases, more excitement, and keeps more fans engaged in the playoff chase as you go through November. As it is now with a four-team race, most times you get November, there's like six, maybe seven schools that have a chance. Now you're going to have 20, and it's just going to be all about getting in. And that selection Sunday, the big excitement of seeing, oh, we're in, and where are we seated, and who are we playing, and where are we going, that'll have some of the flavor of the basketball tournament that's been so popular, where just getting in will make a season for a lot of people. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think the notion of the games being on campus is great. I think what makes college football so special and makes it significantly different than a lot of markets in the NFL is that hometown vibe, right? Athens, Georgia, just the environment in Columbus, Ohio. It's, it's just a very different world. I think sometimes those games being played on a neutral site 
become very similar to the Super Bowl, right? Where it's it's executive, it's corporate, it's sponsor driven. It's not the true fans. It's not the students. It's not the kids who kind of drive the audience all year long when they're playing their home games. They're not necessarily attending those big college football playoff games. So from that regard, I get it. But but I guess the part I keep coming back to is, and you said it, this year with only, you know, in the past couple of years with only four teams making the playoffs, there was really only two or three that had a chance to win it six that had a legitimate argument for being in it. Now I'm going to try to fill those two that can win it. Maybe three on a good year. You're going to have Alabama. You're going to have Georgia and you're going to have somebody else right in past years. It was Clemson. Sometimes it's Ohio state, whoever that third team that legitimately when the season starts can win it, but only six teams can compete in it. But now I got 12 spots. I don't know. Like does Ole Miss, does Ole Miss last year, if they were hosting as an 11, if they were in as a whatever seed, they hosted a game. Great environment. Did they have any chance of winning the national championship? Probably not. No. Yeah. No. So I, I mean, that's, 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 yeah, that's my that's, only, we're just at, you know, my, my concern is that we're just adding games for the sake of adding games. Now the counter argument you brought up basketball is yeah. Does Florida Gulf coast, did they have a chance years back when they made that great run? So I understand football and basketball are a little different dynamic as far as adding extra games. But the the point I'm with you, I, listen, will I watch it? Absolutely. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. But here's uh, that's a good question for you. I mean, as a player uh, and thinking back to your 18 to 22 year old self, if you're playing 15, 16, 17 games, is that too much? I think it's a lot. I think it's a yeah. lot. I think they're going to have to figure out a way. I think, but again, it connects to our early, the, the easiest thing would be, and it goes back to our earlier point about those lower schools kind of getting that blood money to go play, you know, A&M and Notre Dame. Those would be the easy games to get rid of. Just wipe those games out, take those easy non-conference games off your schedule. And that opens up a couple weeks. Okay. But now the counter argument is you've just crushed all these lower programs as you hit on earlier in the show. So it, it's a, it's a very complicated equation. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I think for these college kids to be playing 15, 16 games. I, I think that's a lot. I think NFL players aren't going to class. They're not dealing with study hall. They're not dealing with social. It's just a different world. The professional athletes being paid a lot of money to carry that different schedule. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, but I appreciate your perspective. Obviously you follow it a lot closer than, than we do here. And um, I appreciate your, your insight. It's going to be fascinating to watch, but all right. So let's jump in now to the real reason I have you here, not just your college football expertise, but, you know, here on, on you think we, we love having conversations with, with families and coaches and athletes who have navigated or are currently navigating this crazy experience we call youth sports. And, um, your wife was a, was a swimmer in college. You raised three kids, one Olympian, all three swam at a high level collegiately. I want to dive into just what that journey has been like in your family. So take us back to the beginning. Um, was it just swimming? Were your kids playing other sports and at, at one point realized swimming was something they could really take beyond the, just the local, you know, rec level or the local level. Just give us a little insight into what that journey looked like at, at its beginning. Yeah. First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm much more happy to talk about being a swim dad <laughs> than being a sports writer. So this totally. is awesome. This is great. Love it. Um, it was, you know, just so much fun and yeah, it began you know, at the total, like, accidental, rudimentary, simple level, neighborhood pool, summer league team, six years old, you, you make it to the other end of the pool, and you get a heat ribbon, and you go get ice cream, and that's just, you know, that that was it, and it was just, it was great, it was, 
you know, just very, it was very fun at every level, but you start at that level. It's just very pure. And you're just saying, are my kids having fun? Yes, they are. All right. Well, we'll just keep going and see where this thing takes us. And uh, he demonstrated some aptitude and we asked them, you know, do you want to try swimming year round? And that becomes then a bigger commitment. Uh, and they did, but yeah, they were playing other sports uh, all the way up for two of the three, at least my, my middle son, he, he stopped playing basketball, like when he was 12, but the other two, my oldest, he played football, basketball all the way up into high school. Uh, my daughter, who was the most gifted swimmer of the bunch, she did cross country and track and basketball through like eighth grade. So we, we did not want this to be all encompassing, right. You know, and just all consuming swimming is it. It was clear that that was their best sport, but it didn't need to be the only sport. And the constant check-in we always did with them, are you having fun? Do you want to do this again next year? And the answer was always yes. And so we just kind of kept going. And it was year-round. And then we went from one year-round team to another. There's an incredibly good year-round program here in Louisville, Kentucky, where I live, which is unusual. You know, usually it's a fairly coastal sport, but uh, they produced a number of Olympians and, I mean, hundreds of college swimmers. And they just kind of took off from there. And every time there was an increase in commitment, they were like, yeah, I want to keep doing it. I want to do more. I want to do what it takes to be good. And it just kind of unfolded that yeah, way. And just to educate our audience, your son, Mitchell, went to Missouri. Your other son, Clayton, went to Georgia. And your daughter, the Olympian, we'll get to that. Uh, Brooke went to Stanford and then silver medalist in the Tokyo Olympics. So I, we're going to dive into all of that specifically. But back to the, the local scene, just back home. You mentioned you're at, a, you know, you're at a group now. I'm assuming it's some sort of club. We have something like that similar I'm um, similarly here in Charlotte. Um, it's called Swim Mac, and oh, yeah. they produce all. Yep. Yeah, and apparently they go throughout the country and really produce a lot of college. It sounds very similar to what you're describing. So, how competitive is it when you have a young child? Like, do you go try out? Do they get noticed at some of the other younger levels? And those coaches come over and say, "Hey, your son or daughter, you know, they have some skills. We'd love them to come join our club, and we feel like we can help develop them." Like, what is that early? transition from when you say, okay, we're just doing this for fun and ice cream, but okay. Then you get to the point you say, okay, they have the skill, they have the interest. We need to put them with people who can kind of cultivate that, that level of skill and see how high we can take it. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the summer club teams are feeder teams to the year round teams. And so they, it's funny, you go to the little summer club championships and you come out and there's flyers from all the year round clubs on your car. You know, and so then you, yeah, you can say, all right, you can go and try it's like out. college recruiting. It's say, like recruiting. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, one thing to our advantage, again, my wife swam in college. Uh, and so she knew the sport very well. And she could say, yeah, they're good enough. I mean, they, they can certainly swim. You know, they can they can take take these steps. And so I'm just kind of following her lead there, which was great for me. I, I was a football and basketball player through high school. You know, I, I was OK. That was it. But she knew the she knew the lay of this land, and she could say, "Yeah, you know, we'll 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 take them now to this to Lakeside Swim Club, and they'll try out and they'll make the team. It was fine, you know." And then they were able to jump into pretty competitive groups right away and and hold their own there. Uh, and so you, there are people noticing you, but really it's kind of up to you, like you know, how far, how hard do you want to push it, and when? You know, I mean, one good thing about swimming. You can tell the coaches if your kid is 10 years old, he's doing these other sports. He's only going to come three days a week. 
Okay. You know, they're going to offer six practice a week, but we're only going to come to three. And they're like, okay, fine. You know, there, there may be a little bit of push and pull eventually, but uh, usually swimming, they, you don't have to be at every practice for the, and the coach loses his mind if you're not there. That's interesting. And, and that's probably the fact that it is an individual sport, right? You're part of a team. There is some collective team environment, but you know, you miss baseball practice, you miss football practice. It throws off the entire sure. ability of the team to operate efficiently. So that's, that's an interesting point. We had early on one of our first couple episodes, we had um, Olympic gymnast, Sean Johnson oh, yeah. and, you know, granted different, different sport, but nonetheless, that Olympic path is a very similar path for, you know, track and field athletes, um, gymnasts, swimmers. It's a, it's a very uh, similar kind of trajectory. So at this stage, when you say, okay, we're going to go from the summer club teams and our three children are going to make a full-time commitment to being year round swimmers. What does that lifestyle look like, right? You hear the Michael Phelps, famous stories of Michael Phelps from the time he was 12 years old. Just, he said the hours he spent staring at that line at the bottom of the pool, just lap after lap. Like they talk about, you know, you got to get swim, you know, pool time around here is the big challenge, right? So all these kids, before they go to school, it's 5 a.m. and they're in the pool. Like give us a sense of what did your three children's life look like in the world of swimming and balancing school and whatnot, you know, starting maybe say high school. Yeah. Hey, it's hard. You know what? I mean, it's, it is, it is an incredible commitment and, and it's a grind. The practices aren't fun, right? Okay. Like football once a week, you're going to scrimmage, right? You're going to throw some seven on seven. You're going to have a little bit of fun in there. In addition to grinding it out, basketball, same thing. End of practice five on five. Let's go up and down swimming. You don't get that really. You right. may get, you know, exactly. an, an occasional dive set where you're going to compete, but mostly it's, you are grinding, looking at that line on the bottom. So yeah, the big commitments were starting ages 13 to 15 with my kids. All right. We're going to train in the mornings. You're going to do, you're going to do doubles. You're going to train twice a day. So you're going to be there at 5. AM. Uh, and then you're going to come back after school and you're going to do it again. And then all of a sudden your practice count goes from five or six a week to eight or nine a week. That's hard. you got to make the commitment, A, to go to bed early, B, to get up, C, to get your homework done somewhere in there, and then D, just to go do the physical demands of the sport. But they did it, and you know, I, I give all the credit to my wife. My wife is just a – I refer to her as the, the schedules are. You know, she can figure out everything. All right, you know, you need to be studying from this point to this point, that sort of thing. And they did. They, we didn't have to badger them. That was the most important thing. You know, we said if if it becomes a thing where we're, we're pulling you out of bed and you're miserable in the morning, we're not doing it. So they committed to that. And then, yes, it became just um, uh, a – I, you know, th this is going to be the life we're going to live through high school. And yeah, there's going to be some parties we're not going to go to and parties we're going to leave early uh, and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, th this trip over here with, with my friends, I'm not, I can't go on because I got a swim meet this weekend. So there were sacrifices they had to make, but they did it willingly. Yeah. And, and something that is always the common thread when we speak to parents, when we speak to athletes um, here on, you think is the successful stories there was no one ever forcing anyone to do anything. This was not mom and dad living out their dream, grabbing their son or daughter out of bed in the morning, dragging them to the gym, or in your case, to the pool. Like, did you know at an early age that your kids had that mindset to be internally driven, that it did not require a coach to be up their ass? It didn't, mom, mom and dad didn't have to be 
you know, smacking them in the head in the morning and get out of bed? Or like, did you know early on that they had the mental, you mentioned your wife really understood the sport. So she knew the mental approach that it took to, to handle it. Did you know they had it or were you constantly impressed and surprised along the way with how they managed it? I'd say a little bit of both because you know, they were always diligent, good students, you know, I mean, we never had problems in those areas at all. Uh, but still, when you do get to 13, 14, 15, and the social pressures are there of, you know, are you going to be in with the cool group or not? And if you're not going to the party with the cool group, you might not be in with it. And so I was, you know, kind of a little bit wait and see on some of that. Uh, and I was, I would always kind of be the one that would lean towards like, you know, if you don't need, want to go to practice tomorrow, it's okay. But the kids were always like, I oh, know we'll go. It's fine. You know? So they, they did impress me and surprise me through the teenage years, but, but, but before that they did show that they basically had a, a baseline uh, diligence and, and work ethic and, and interest in like, Hey, whatever, what I need to do to do well at what I'm doing, I'm going to do. If we asked your, your three kids right now and we asked them, why did you do it? Right. Like what, what would you say their early motivation? It's easy for people, our listeners to say, Oh, they got to go to college. They went to all three great schools. So your daughter was an Olympian. And so of course that's why they did it. But like, if you asked me why I played football when I was 12, it was not because I was going to go play in college and I was going to go be a professional athlete. I just, I did it because that's what my brothers and I did. We never really had much of an option. Like my dad was a football coach. So we played football from, you know, like, but we loved it. Right. No one ever made us do it. So I guess the easy answer is I'm assuming they loved it, but like, is there, was there another motivating factor? Like what about swimming was their competitive outlet well beyond when they were envisioning going on to college and beyond? That's a really interesting question. And I would say, Hey, yes, they loved it. And they enjoyed their friends you know they the, that was their friend group and their peer group and boy they were around them a lot so that was good uh b they had success you know and they you know you win you like winning okay i'm good at this so i'm gonna keep doing it and then the third part was was i just think that they felt like this was kind of where they belonged you know i mean again they're, they're the peer group and it's like these are my people i want to hang out with and this is what you know this is what i'm comfortable with and the other thing especially with my boys they liked other sports. They love sports in general. They weren't terribly aggressive. And so football, hey, you got to smash into people, right? Basketball, you got to go get that rebound. Swimming, it's not the same way. You want to compete against the person next to you, but you don't have to physically confront them, so to yep. speak. And yep. so swimming was a good place for that. My daughter, she's competitive as hell. You know, I mean, she just, she would go after anybody. She liked playing football. She was outraged that there was no tackle football for girls. Uh, so that wasn't a thing for her, but for the boys, there was that like, Hey, I can succeed and compete here without having to be physically aggressive, which wasn't really their thing. That's really interesting. And it's actually a great segue because the, the next part of the conversation I wanted to dive into, I have two boys and a girl as well. Um, very different personalities, very different levels of interest in sports. Mind you, they're in fourth and fifth grade, but I wanted to, as we get, we talk a lot about here on you think about parenting, not only parenting your children differently, but parenting your sons and daughters differently, whether you intend to, or it's just the way their interest levels, their, their, the way the direction of their life goes. I know right, wrong, or indifferent, there are times where I parent my daughter different than I parent my two boys, where I'm a lot more direct 
and and to the point with them and I'm a lot more nurturing and maybe more patient and comfortable with her and it's probably not the right way it's I try not to do it but it's kind of human nature along those lines you have three kids that are all in the same sport and all to varying degrees having success of course your daughter goes on to have probably the most success obviously with being an olympic silver medalist but when you were raising them you know up and through high school until went off to college was their experience different was your experience with your wife parenting them and watching them on this journey is the the path of a female swimmer and a male swimmer similar different different obstacles different issues you face along the way yeah I, that's that's a really interesting topic and 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 i you're you sound like me there as far as like i i, I know i was harder on the boys uh, especially the oldest boy i grew up in a family of boys and so you know that's there there was a mindset that was very i guess kind of just full-on head-on you know Everything was intense. It was fun or it was angry or what, you know, I mean, it was just, it was a different kind of deal. And so I think I parented the boys harder than I parented my daughter. Uh, I think they would all kind of joke about that now. So to, to a degree. Um, so th that was very much was different as far as them going through the sport. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I mean, like, especially my younger two, they trained together uh, almost their entire career. My, my son that went to Georgia, he was a very good swimmer. He was an All-American there. And so they were in the same groups, uh, training groups. And so they had a lot of the same experience. And, and I love the fact that the coach seemed to coach the girls the same way he coached the boys. It, it, there might have been some subtle differences, but it wasn't like we're going to treat you guys as as China dolls and we're going to just get after you guys. They, they he, he coached them hard. Uh, but he was very fair and he was not abusive in any way. He wasn't a yeller or screamer, but he coached them hard. Um, but then the boys swam for their all boys Catholic high school and the girls swam for her all girls Catholic high school. So they had very different experiences in terms of high school socialization. They didn't train with those teams because they trained with their club team and then just showed up for the meets. But, but just watching those meets, it was hilarious, Greg. It was like the guys, you know, it, it's a school of 1,400 guys, and it's a meet with 100 boy swimmers. And it's just like, ah, all the time, you know? And the yeah. girl's like, yay! Yeah. You know? It's <laughs> and I get in the pool, and again, like, my daughter's super competitive. It wasn't nicey-nice, but, but it was just the atmosphere was so different. Yeah, and so tell us a little bit more about that dynamic. Did, did your daughter try to compete with her brothers? Like, did oh, you yeah. think that played a part, um, you know, just in, in her ultimate success? Like, just give us a little, when did you realize they were all good, right? In their own right, good enough to go swim in college. But when did you realize, what was the point where you said, okay, our daughter, Brooke, she's, she's special. She's different. She, she has other aspirations beyond college that she can attain. Yeah. Um, it was pretty early, you know? Because again, she was she wanted to do everything the boys did, you know, when it was just playing in the yard or whatever. It was like, you know, she didn't see any reason because she was the youngest because she was a girl. She shouldn't be out playing basketball and football with the boys, you know, or whatever. And then, you know, like wrestling around the house, she was feisty. She was a tough one. And so you kind of got you knew that mindset was there. And then when, yeah, you put her in the pool and she was just she was very strong early and she she just had a feel for the water and. Um, you know, she broke her first state record when she was seven or eight, eight, I guess. And so you're like, Ooh, well, that's, that's different. Okay. 
And then I'm a stat guy. I'm a sports writer. And I, you know, you, you can look up way too much information way too early for kids online. And it's like, oh, she's the fastest in the nation, the 50 butterfly at age nine for nine year olds. Like, wow. Okay. She really might have a little something here, you know? And so you could figure it out early on. And then she had the mindset for it. And it, you know, I mean, we kind of like you, when you were talking, we, we weren't sitting there thinking college or beyond until, until they were 13, 14, 15. And they had this, they were practicing twice a day and okay, they were playing and then they were getting the results from that. And so then you're looking and saying, okay, there's something beyond just let's go be the fastest kid in the pool at this certain meet. And how does the recruiting process work in swimming? I, I've come to learn for these conversations that every sport is so un- uniquely different. It, it, it starts at different ages. Kids commit at different, you know, I, I think back to in football, most kids commit like give or take around that junior year, give or, you know, especially the five-star high level kids. But I, we, we talked with, with a bunch of baseball guys and, you know, we had Christian Yelich and just talking about his journey through, they commit and they're in 10th grade, ninth grade. It's a much earlier process in the world of baseball. So when does it start? When do you commit? Like, what does that, pro- is it through your club team? Does your high school coach kind of take a back seat? Like, what does that look like in the world of swimming? Yeah. High school coach isn't really involved. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's, a, it's very much around your club, club, club coach. And again, we were lucky that we had a guy who has sent hundreds of swimmers to college. So he knew the terrain. Uh, it is a later process than in a lot of other sports. As obviously, I'm really familiar with college recruiting for football and basketball. This is much later. All my kids committed their, during their senior year. My oldest son wasn't even sure he was going to swim in college until February of his senior year of high school. And then he committed May 1st um, to go to Missouri. So uh, he was a late bloomer. And it, it, it is similar, but different. Okay. You know, you start off, you get a lot of emails and you get a lot of mailings and stuff. And some, a lot of it's non-specific. Uh, and then it starts to narrow down a little bit more. And I think it's July 1st going into your junior year. You can have contact, uh, start having phone calls and, and face-to-face uh, and, and meetings and that sort of thing. And so you get a little bit more of an idea where things are going and it was real different for all three of them. Again, the oldest, he was almost an accidental college swimmer. Middle, that's something he always wanted to do. And so he was so excited when he's getting recruited. And the first call he got was Georgia, which is a very good program. And that's what he wanted. He wanted Georgia and he wanted Florida. And he gets the, the first call he got on the day that he can start getting calls is Georgia. So he's just over the moon. And so he ends up having a good list of choices and takes some visits and everything. And it comes down to Georgia and Florida and he picks Georgia and then my oldest, um, you know, I mean, like according to one ranking service, she was the number one swimmer in the country for her class. And so you get that sort of attention and everybody wants you. And she was a little, she could be a much more selective and just kind of like, I can pick, I, nobody's picking for me. I can, I can, I have all the options in front of me. And so it was different for her. And now one thing too, real quick, that was just very different from swimming is it's a partial scholarship sport. Okay, there's 14 scholarships for women. There's 9.9 for men. And this is something parents need to know and to think about because you start getting those scholarship dreams in your head. My kid's getting a full ride to Notre Dame, you know? Well, maybe not in swimming, you know? You may get a partial. My daughter was lucky enough to get a full, but there's not many of those. So you have to go in eyes wide open about what's actually available in terms of athletic aid. It's like baseball, right? They got a a roster of, 30 kids call it. And there's only 11 scholarships. 
Yeah, you know, so exactly. The, unless you're a kid who turned down a top 10 first round draft pick choice and decided you go to college, you're probably getting a half, if not a quarter, a third. I mean, they chop those things up pretty good. So I think that's a great point that you bring up that, you know, everyone out there hears scholarship and, and their eyes get big, but depending on the sport, it's not necessarily full. I think that's a great point. I want to talk more about something. I, I think it's always cool when our personal lives and our professional lives kind of intersect and, and maybe, and I don't want to speak for you, but what I would imagine as a father, got to be one of the coolest moments of, you know, you're a longtime sports writer. You've come, you've covered Olympics. You've covered swim meets in college. You, you've covered college football, but you name it, you've covered it. And you have the opportunity, your daughter's competing in the Olympics and you get to write about it, cover it, not only for your profession, but then you also get to experience it as a father. Just take us back to that moment. What was that lead up like? What did the moment actually end up being like? And just how do you think back on it now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's once in a lifetime. I mean, there's nothing in my professional career that could ever compare to it. You know, I mean, it, it's beyond your wildest dream. Like, you really can't even, like, I've said this before talking to other swim parents, you really don't dream of of your kid going to the Olympics because it's too much. It's too hard to do. You take 26 women and 26 men from the United States of America. Can your kid really be one of those? I mean, so you don't think about, you, you can maybe put that in the very back of your mind, but it's like, no, nah, that's that's too much. Just go to college. That's great. Win an NCAA championship. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. Now you get to the Olympic trials and she's got a chance. And, you know, her kind of journey through that was hard. You know, she, she was going through the COVID period. Her event, her best event was 400 individual medley, which is not what she made the Olympics in. And it is the hardest event in swimming and the grind of training for that. And then the pressure of competing in that with an Olympics hanging over you was really hard for her. She had a very difficult time mentally throughout the early part of 2022. And there was a point she got out of the pool during a race in March of 2022. And we were like, she's done. She's going to quit. She is not even going to go to Olympic trials. And she said, I'll go to Olympic trials, but I do not want to compete in the 400 I am. We're like, okay, it's your choice. And we're like, you know, you, you were hundred we're hundred percent supporting, but in the back of your mind, you're like, Oh my gosh, she's not going to do this. You know? And it's just like, you feel bad for her in that moment. Uh, but then her coach, who's brilliant at Stanford, Greg Meehan, I love him. Um, you know, he he got her back on the beam. She competed in it. She made the final. She finished sixth. She did not make the team. And But after that, I, it was honest to God, it was just like this burden off her shoulders. Like, I am done with that event. I don't have to swim anymore. Let's go see what happens the rest of this meet. And she makes the team in a relay in the 200 freestyle, which was not expected. She was not, you know, seated to make it. And she just swam great. She swam free and confident. And she makes a team. And that was that was like the moment that just totally blew us away, you know, because like, God, you can't even dream of this. And now my kid is going to the Olympics. And then I'm sorry if I'm rambling here. No, but, I love but, it. You're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> you know, my job is to cover the Olympics. I've covered eight of them before Tokyo. And so I get to go, too. And she gets to go, which is just so off the charts. But then it gets even more like remarkable because. None of the other parents get to go. And I felt really bad for them. Simone Biles' parents can't come. Kevin Durant's family cannot come to Tokyo. Katie Ledecky can't, you know, her parents, who were good friends, who can't go. And so it's just like, I get to go, really? And so there's almost a little bit of like survivor guilt. Like, 
geez, I'm sorry, you know, but I'm also not apologizing. I will take no. this trip, <laughs> no. okay? Uh, so then wow. just to be there for that, yeah, it was just, you know, like by the time you get there, it's like, just, you know, don't fall start. Don't, you know, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, just, just, just go out there and swim. Just do your best. <laughs> and yeah. and I think is... she's on a relay, so there's a little less pressure, you know. If you're on an American relay, chances are very good you're going to win a medal. And so it all worked great. She swam great. Uh, they got a silver medal. And so, you know, it just, it was just, it was so amazing to have been to as many Olympics as I have and know what it's like and everything. And to look down on the deck and say, that's my daughter. And I was just incredible. I, it, just listening to you tell that story and just seeing the pride, it literally is giving me chills just <laughs> thinking about what that must have been like. And I appreciate you sharing that. I, I have one more thing for you and we leave kind of leave a lot of our guests with this question. And I think maybe no one better to answer it than you just with your you know, wealth of experience in, in all different aspects of the sporting world. If you had one message to leave to the people listening to your story, to listening to this pod about this youth sports experience from the, from the perspective of a parent, specifically a father, how to manage your own anxiety, how to manage your own stress that you internalize on behalf of your child. You, everyone wants to see their kids succeed. Everyone doesn't want to see their kids struggle. We, we, all, we all do that on a day-to-day basis. Like, What message or piece of advice would you have for them that allowed you to handle it and allowed your children to succeed as you kind of were able to partake in that journey alongside with them? Yeah, um, <laughs> because it is stressful and it is, I mean, you get so nervous, but it's all just because you want the best for your kid, right? So I think the most important things were an ounce of perspective of just meet them where they are. You know, you may have dreams that your kid's going to be the greatest, but if they're not, you got to be fine with where they are, right? And you can help them succeed and get better and everything, but you can't push them as much as, you know, you, you can, again, go with them. Don't push them or drag them along uh, to where they can go. So, you know, to, to enjoy, if your kid, is the 37th best swimmer on the team. One of the great things about, did you swim your own best time? Yeah. Doesn't matter where you placed, you may be 37, but did you do better than you've ever done before? That's awesome. Then celebrate that, you know? As far as managing the stress, I just think not to, not to broadcast it to your kid. Don't let your kid know how stressed you are. You know, whatever that, whatever yeah. form it may take to, to, but don't, don't let them know I'm nervous as hell for you, you know? Uh, That's great. Just, hey, have fun go in there and, and have fun and i'm gonna go outside here and bend over and feel like i'm gonna throw up but you go in there and have fun you know just don't that's don't great, don't make your stress their stress that's so that's such a great point because i think so often we're all guilty of that i know i am right i think our kids feel that they they kind of feed off that and they're already stressed enough right we've yeah. already created right. enough stress in their lives um in this world specifically in sports that they don't need any of our so Pat, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been an awesome conversation, not only about, you know, your family, but also just your, your expertise in the college, college landscape of athletics and whatnot. So I can't thank you enough, Pat. Thank you for joining us here for you for another episode here on you think, and uh, we're going to have you back. You're going to be our, our college football expert. So we're going to, we're going to keep you, <laughs> we're going to keep you in the pipeline here as things uh, continue to develop across the landscape. So thanks so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Greg. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure and an honor, and I look forward to talking again. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed 
that conversation with Sports Illustrated writer, uh, longtime columnist, uh, Pat Forty. It, it was so cool to, you know, just hear his, you know, personally, just to hear, you know, raising two sons and one daughter, very similar to my household. So kind of a lot of what he talked about uh, raising them a little differently, but also trying to make sure you do it, you know, treat them all fair. And the same was, was cool. I got a lot out of that personally. Um, but I hope you guys just enjoyed that conversation. It was got a good mix of college football and college athletics, today's world, and also the personal side, which to us here at you think is always the fun side is listening to everybody's perspective and, and uh, hopefully all learning a few lessons from other people's mistakes and successes as they raise their kids in the youth sports world uh, that we all know and love. And at the time times we hate, uh, but the one thing we don't hate is we all love go Syracuse. Tasha, what's up? Syracuse won so bad. Tasha, before we jump into these questions, yeah, can you explain? So Tasha, her father, Syracuse football coach, Dino Babers, they are rolling. They're undefeated. Can we explain they they changed the rules at halftime because they were beating Wagner so bad? Yeah, I didn't know that they could do this, but apparently if both coaches agree, you can limit the quarters. So the quarters were only 10 minutes, which I, I didn't I notice like at like, first. And then I was like, oh, strange. I didn't even know you could shorten football was games. It like running, was it like running clock and not allowed to pass? Because that's what my kids, Pop Warner team, that's our rules when we get up by too much. I, I don't know. I didn't see a lot of passes after that. It was just mostly <laughs> running, but I'm not sure if like you had to run. Because your, your dad's a good guy. <laughs> But yeah, we're we're five and zero. There's only sixteen teams five? that are five, like that are undefeated. Five. So. Say it one more time. Five and zero. Five and zero. How good yeah. does that feel? Feels great. So I'm who's, who's on next on the schedule? Who's next? Who do we got next? We have a bye week. What's and then, the big? Yeah, we have a bye week this weekend, and then we have NC State. So you'll be six and zero. You'll be six and zero on the bye week, and then you have oh, NC State. That'll NC be a big State. one. Home or away? It's home. Let's go. So oh. yeah, it could the be dome's a good game. Be rocking. It's not the Carrier Dome anymore, right? They changed the name? No, they did change the name, and I don't know the name. <laughs> I, don't I know. know I feel like name. they changed it. I, I apologize to whoever the new name is. Here will be better here on You Think. All right. We'll look it up. Good luck to Syracuse. We are, you Think now is a Syracuse fan. We are Syracuse fans. We follow every weekend. They're crushing it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, what do you got for us today? What are, what are our questions? Yeah, the fans have been following you, Greg, and we have some interesting ones today from Matt on Instagram. He says, a kid got caught vaping after practice and one of his teammates let the school know. So now the kid that turned him in is getting punished by the coaches for not being a team player. What's your take on that? Oh, that's a tough one. I know. You know, I have this philosophy in as until it gets dangerous or until, you know, the kid's putting himself like truly in harm's way and you got to alert someone, right? Is... I would love to encourage, if I was coaching high school sports or high school football team or whatever, I would do my best to empower the kids to police themselves as much as possible, right? And try to not always run to a coach, not make an adult always handle it. Like, go have a conversation with the kid, explain to him, hey, these are the expectations of our team, be a good leader, you know, empower them to take ownership of the team and the expectations of what it means to be a part of this team. So like, that would be, you know, pie in the sky, magic wand. That would be my hope is that it never had to end up in my, on my desk as the head coach. I don't know whether that happened here or not. I think there is an element to a team where you do want to protect each other. But then I think at a certain point, if the behavior becomes not only destructive to the individual, but then it becomes destructive to the team. And, and I don't know whether this clarify classifies as that or not, 
Um, then of course it needs to be brought to the head coach and, and handled. I think the point the coach is trying to make is maybe along the lines of what I'm saying is like, Hey, you got to have your guys back. You got to take the ownership and go have that conversation with him. Don't go run and tattletale. Don't go run and be a snitch until it gets to the point where you're not able to handle it. You're not able to maintain it. And it's becoming now a negative on our team. So I think that would be my approach. I, my gut is that's sort of the lesson the coach is trying to instill here. Um, but I, you know, I think there's a fine line between teaching your kids when they need to report something bad to an authority figure, an adult, a parent, a coach, when it needs to be, and there needs to be someone to get involved and help. I don't know if this necessarily, you know, was classified in that position. Um, I would love to see the kid handling himself first before getting a coach involved. I think that would be my ultimate hope. I mean, maybe the kid he ratted out was first string. Maybe he was right behind him. Maybe it was just maybe. his. Maybe, maybe this was a, maybe this was a political ploy. This was like a game of Thrones movement where you're trying to <laughs> slip the throat of the guy in front of you. Like <laughs> I get it, man. It's a cutthroat world out there. So there's some context here that we might be missing, <sighs> but I think the overall lesson is empower your kids to police themselves, take ownership of the team, take ownership of holding the rules. Everyone will be better when it doesn't always have to be at the coaches, you know, putting the coach's thumb on everybody and micromanaging. Yeah. That would be my overall hope. Well, our second question is also from Instagram. It says, my parents never let me play contact sports. Both were doctors and were cautious about head injuries as I was growing up. Now that I'm out of high school, I feel like I'm missing out and I still have a shot to play football in college or even the CFL. What advice can you give to me? Well, this must be a hell of an athlete. I, I think I mean, first and foremost, if this, this I'm assuming is a guy, this guy has a ton of confidence because if you've never played a down of contact sports and now you're, you think you're going to go play in college or the CFL, you go shoot your shot, dude, you go, you go chase your dream. Um, you know, it's hard. You know, I think, you know, being a parent is hard, right? Making decisions on behalf of your kid when, even if it's not the decision they want to make in the moment is hard. Um, obviously there's a lot of conflicting reports around the safety of football, right? we'll just take football, you know, for this case, you know, with the head injuries and just safety, health and safety to begin with. I think a lot of those stories and a lot of those things now are starting to be seen as maybe a little misleading. I think there's a lot more context and a lot more clarity that's been provided over these last couple of years. And I also think there's been a lot of really good rule changes in implementing, you know, different standards at the youth level, all the way up through what we see in the NFL, which is recognizing maybe some of the more dangerous components to the game and making it a little more safer, right? So I think there's a lot of moving parts here, but I, my advice to him would be, you can't go back in time. You can't go back and get a high school, you know, football season. You can't, it is what it is. Your parents made the decision that they felt was in your best interest. And if you have a dream now to chase it, go chase it. Don't have any regrets. If you make it and you're the long shot and you're the, you know, you're the one in a million more power to you. I don't let anyone tell you, you can't do it. It obviously appears that you feel strongly about it. So my advice to you would be chase it learn, get in the hip pocket of someone who has a little experience, find a coach, find a former player, find someone who can at least teach you a little bit of the beginnings that you missed. And if you're a great athlete and you work hard enough, who knows what happens? We've seen crazier stories over the years. Um, so that would be my advice. I just love the confidence. I love it. I mean, more power to this guy. Yeah. I wish he gave us his name. And our last audience question is a really cute question. It says it's from Instagram. It says players like Christian McCaffrey, Cam and Luke, always loved playing with you and vice versa. So what do you think is special about your teammate friendships? 
Oh, that is cute. I feel like we need to put in some like music into that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I was really fortunate that <clears throat> in all my, you know, all my different stops in my career that I played with some really great guys, you know, not just great players, right? All those guys named are great players. I can name a million more Ryan Khalil. And I, I can go up and down the list of guys that were just great players in their own right, but they were all just great dudes to be around. We had an absolute blast. And I think when you talk to former players like me and people say, Hey, what do you miss the most? You know, you don't miss practice. You don't miss getting your ass kicked. You miss before and after the games in the locker room. You miss the plane rides. You miss the bus rides. You miss going out to lunch during training camp. You miss the struggle together. Like you miss all the pe- the parts of the camaraderie and the stuff that you, you, you work together. You, you know, you had setbacks together, you had successes together and like building those relationships, you know, kind of through the fire of, of, of living your kind of life side by side with other, a lot of other guys that had similar kind of life goals and, and whatnot. It was, that was the special part of playing in the NFL. And that's the part that you don't really get that back. You know, there's very, just very few areas of the world where you can have an NFL locker room. And, you know, some of it's probably not great for HR, but we had a blast, right? And we had a blast together. Um, but yeah, that the relationships are what you build or what you take from the game. It's what you take with you the rest of your life. All those guys and more are still some of my closest friends to this day. And it wasn't because we were all football players. It was because we all shared a very, you know, similar passion. We shared similar setbacks and struggles and successes. And we worked next, we worked hard side by side for a long time. And we learned a lot about each other. We learned to trust each other. We learned to count on each other. We learned to hold each other accountable. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of connections that are formed when, when things are hard and, and when you do things that you share a common interest in. So, yeah, I mean, the friendships are always the most important part. I always wanted guys to trust me. I always wanted to be able to trust them back. And uh, trust is a great, is a great foundation to build relationships off of. That was so cute. Thank you. <laughs> well, Shout I think that's all friends. you got. Yeah. Shout out to, shout out to me. Um, thank you guys. <laughs> thank you guys all so much. Thank you, Tasha. Go orange. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening uh, here on You Think. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your pods. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>